This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show today. Welcome to your Friday edition. Um, it's the one day where around the state it's going to be raining, and the rest of the week it's been beautiful. Sunny skies, warm weather set for Saturday, 4 o'clock kickoff. Fox broadcast, Jason Benetti, Brock Heward again on the call. This will be their third time calling this game. Um, Oregon, obviously, in the college football playoff hunt, number sixth in the country. They've won eight games in a row. Huskies are in the top 25 uh, at number 25 with a 7-2 and two record, 4-2. and two. I, I guess they're technically still in the Pac-12 championship race here. Things could get crazy, mm-hmm. and things could maybe fall their way to get in. So, you know, it's it's a rivalry week. It's a staff that's, that's embracing the rivalry week, and there's a lot on the line for – both teams in this football game. It's exactly what we would want for a November football game. You know, everything is on the table for both teams. And especially in this rivalry where very rarely have we been able to say that. And you just think, yeah. I, I was just looking through the, uh, I use Winsipedia to track the head-to-head matchups in these kind of series. There haven't been very many games where it's been played this time of year where both teams are, are actually like kind of still fully in the hunt to make a run at a division title in the past and, and obviously now at the conference championship. And as Matt said, Washington is technically still alive, but they'd have to win out. They'd have to hope Oregon loses again. Um, they'd have to hope a couple other teams lose multiple times, which could happen. It's kind of, I'm trying to think through how this would all work out. I guess Oregon beats Utah, but loses to Oregon state. And then Utah, I don't even know what the tiebreaker would be like. It's going to, it's like, I'm running through my brain. I think Washington probably has like a 2% chance of making it. I think it's very slim, but they're still in it. And as we said, this is a rivalry, which like I was running through it. There's been of the last 17 games, Oregon's won 15 and the two games Washington won were total ass kicks on Washington side. And the first 11 that Oregon won in the series were total ass kicks on Oregon's side. The last three games have all been pretty close. Oregon's won them all, all by 10 points or fewer. Um, this feels like a game that should be closer to the 10 points or fewer range than the total ass kick range that we saw for most of the century uh, in this head-to-head series. So I'm excited for it. I think we're going to get into some of the matchups and why it could be really competitive. I think Oregon has a team that is totally firing on all cylinders right now. I don't know if you can quite say the same thing about Washington. If you just kind of look at the way their season's played out, it seems like they may have played their best football a little bit over a month, month and a half ago. At the same mm-hmm. time, can't take them lightly. And their strengths, and we'll get into some of that, 
kind of go up against some of Oregon's biggest weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, we might as well just jump into that right now, just because. Yeah, I, like I don't have I don't have too much else to add to it. It's rivalry week. This is a big game for both teams. You know, despite Washington not having the highest percentage of winning the conference, it's still there. Um, Oregon, you know, TJ Bass said like they don't need the extra motivation of Washington week. They know what they're fighting for every single day that they step out on the field. And that's a college football playoff berth. That's a Pac-12 championship game. Um, they, each team has a lot fighting for. And then it just happens to be rivalry week. So I, I, I think we should just dive right yeah. into to what, what Oregon doesn't do well or what Washington does do well, what Washington doesn't do well and all that. Yeah, I think it starts with Michael Penix at quarterback. You know, he's certainly turned himself into um, one of the premier quarterbacks in the country. And that I don't know if that was necessarily expected. Um, Jared wrote a story on on DuckTerritory.com kind of just looking about, you know, this quarterback matchup is – the storylines are kind of similar. You know, both guys weren't really highly regarded players when they transferred here and have turned into superstars. And it, it's going to be interesting to see just how Oregon defends Penix because he's by far, I think, the best quarterback Oregon has faced um, to date this season from a from a statistical standpoint, for sure. But then beyond that, Stetson Bennett maybe – uh, but he's got way better talent around him than Penix does. Um, Hall at BYU, maybe, but DTR. I, I, DTR would be another one. Um, he's nowhere near the passer, but he's Penix is nowhere near the runner of DTR. Um, so this is, I, I, I think this is the fascinating matchup. This is the biggest matchup of how does Oregon defend UW's passing game, and in particular Penix, who's been pretty darn impressive this season for the Huskies. Yeah, this is a throw the ball every down kind of offense yes. that Oregon's facing. Like legitimately they've thrown, they average 45 passes per game. That's their average. That's not mm-hmm. like a, a season high. That's a ton. Um, and Penix is somebody who is mobile, but not inclined to run the football and tuck it and go, he'll go through his reads. Yeah. He'll, he'll find the, he'll find the way to find open receivers or he'll get rid of the football or he'll take a short, you know, he has like no rushing yards this season. I'm just, I'm just saying. Like, yeah, you, sometimes really, you look at <laughs> what I was just gonna say that, that, that he's got nothing. This is yeah. not somebody who runs the football. This is yeah. a maybe yeah. like I'll scramble for two or three yards. This is not an 18 yard scramble. And and my and I think some of that has to do with the injury history. Having his last three seasons ended, I believe, with season-ending injuries, which is just a yep. really tough. I was gonna say break, but that's the wrong word. Um, <laughs> But just a really, but just a really bad, unfortunate way his career has gone to this point. And always been a pretty talented guy. I mean, like you think about how he was. I think it was in the 2020 at Indiana, and even the year before in 2019. Like the stats were really impressive before the injury, but he could never play more than six, five, six games um, before being shelved for the season. He's now had a full season of staying healthy, and you're seeing what's happened. And uh, this is a really talented offense around him. This is a, a offensive coaching staff um, led by Kalen DeBoer, the, the head coach, who um, is an offensive-minded coach that that know what they're doing with this type of quarterback talent. And, and remember, it was not long ago that Jake Hayner, the Fresno State quarterback, was 
also set to be on this team or expected to potentially be right. on this team. That didn't play out. And I think there was a moment where people in the conference were kind of celebrating that fact going like, well, at least Hayner's not in the conference. Well, Penix has probably been at least as good, maybe probably a little better than what you would have gotten out of Hayner in this offense. Obviously, he, you know, Hayner would have had a little more familiarity, but he's a veteran guy and, and he's around surrounded by some really talented receivers. Like, uh, you know, you know, I think talking with Bennett Williams, the kind of the, the comparison is the Arizona offense in terms of the receiver talent, in terms of the style of play, in terms of a little bit of the quarterback. And I think you can argue with pretty good, like you can defend the argument, I should say of like Washington has the best receivers Oregon's played in Pac-12 play. Adunze yeah. and McMillan. I both, think they are. Both big yeah, time I think recruits. Giles Jackson too, another another good third wide receiver. Well, J- J- Jalen Polk is 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 mm-hmm. statistically their third. Jackson was a was a guy that was also a highly regarded recruit. It's a guy that Oregon recruited pretty heavily, but like it's a really talented group. And and Oregon did a great job in Tucson. Um, we have to know, like that was the game. Remember, we were we were all predicting like, oh, this could be a really close game. I don't think I think we I might not have picked them to cover if I did. It was like the slimmest of margins. I can't remember. It was like I right in the fence, and they just. Mm-hmm blasted them. I, I don't think that will be the way this goes. Um, I think it's possible Oregon wins big, but I'm also just very wary of the fact that like this is a skill position group that will really challenge Oregon on the outside. And we've seen kind of mixed results this year with that. Um, and the last two games aren't super impressive and particularly just getting beaten deep. And I, I will acknowledge that I had thought it was Steve Stevens' fault on the 81 yards pass. Bennett Williams took accountability for that yesterday. Uh, said that it was his mm. fault. He, he blew the coverage, um, and 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 really talked about the way that they can't have a coverage bust like that take place again this week. Because I think Washington's guys are talented enough that you play them straight up, you play your best. They're still going to win some downs. If you make mistakes like that, that's where you really potentially get this thing. Um, Interesting. So uh, it's going to be a huge test for a secondary. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how they match up here and kind of how they hold their own. I guess I'm optimistic about, you, you know, maybe forcing some turnovers and, and making things not like just a complete bloodletting. But I also think you mm-hmm. have to look at, at this pass offense from Washington and give them a lot of respect. Absolutely. You need to give them a lot of respect. This is I watched a lot of Washington highlights this morning and then last night. This is as close to an air raid offense as we have probably in the Pac-12 since Mike Leach's Washington State teams. They are, like Eric mentioned, they're throwing 45 times a game on average. It's, it's a ridiculous number. Penix has hit 50 over 50 throws in a game multiple times this season. Um, he's basically like a long reliever out there on the football field. It's absurd how many times he throws a football. But – uh, I, I watched a lot of the Cal game because I thought that, that Cal's defense, despite Oregon putting up more than 40 points, I thought they had some good moments against Oregon's de- offense that is one of the best in the country. And they had their their spots against Washington's offense as well, but it just felt like a like death by a thousand paper cuts with how Washington is in their game plan. There's a lot of short yards, four to eight yards, a uh, yard to pass. Um, basically using it as their running game. They're like, okay, well, on first down, we could run for three or four yards, but we'll just pass and maybe we'll get six because somebody breaks a tackle. It's just, it's very similar to how, like Eric was saying, like how Wash, or how Arizona runs their offense. 
where Oregon's pass defense did a really good job against Arizona and held them to you know one of the worst games of the season by them. Um, it's just going to be such an interesting storyline for this week because I'm not I'm not 100% sure what it is that Oregon needs to do to stop this because it's just going to be, like I said, like death by a thousand paper cuts. There are going to be times where they, they do really well. Oregon does really well in deep coverage, but just two passes later, it'll be like two four-yard out routes to the sideline. It'll be third and two instead of third and third and eight, third and six, something like that. Um, it's just a really good overall offense. Uh, Michael Penix has complete command of it. Very familiar with Kalen DeBoer, his offensive philosophy. Um, he's turned into one of the best quarterbacks in, in, in the in the country, really. And he leads the country in so many so many interesting passing stats, so many good passing stats that you want your quarterback to lead in. Um, yeah, I just I think the only thing that Oregon has going for them is how honestly how miserable Washington's run offense is and how good Oregon's rush defense is. But I think Washington probably will quickly abandon any any attempts at running the football against Oregon's defense after I don't know maybe a quarter or two. I I think Oregon's best defense in this game is going to be its offense. And probably. And basically, I I don't know if we're necessarily going to see Oregon go 14J and try and run 12 straight run plays every single time they have the football, but it's definitely try and get out by a two-score lead and then chew up the clock and, uh, you know, take your shots downfield when they present themselves, but don't try and just sling it around like crazy up 14 and or more and, you know, present opportunities where the clock is just not continuously tick, 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 tick. I, I think Oregon's best offense will, or defense will be its offense, very similar to what happened against UCLA because field goals in this game are going to be like punts, I feel like, where if, if you're having to settle for a field goal, it's more than likely going to feel like you failed even though you put three points on the board because both these offenses are really good. I don't think either off, either defense is elite. Um, I don't think um, I, I would shade to, to Oregon having the better defense, but I don't think that's like this astronomically wide margin either um, between these two teams. UW certainly can't stop the run. Oregon is a little bit better there. Um, but that pass, you know, UW doesn't run the ball, like, like Jared said. Like they're not an excessively running team. They throw the ball a ton. And so I, I just look at this as don't make mis- the team that makes the most mistakes offensively, whether that's a third down drop and they have to punt, or whether that's a third and medium that they don't convert on the ground and they have to take a field goal. That that's going to be, be a mistake. That's going to be uh, almost the same as punting the football or turning the ball over when when you have to you know leave four points off the board because you're taking field goals. I think Oregon's defensive philosophy will be very similar to what it's been during this run, which is don't give up the deep shots, but understand that in the red zone, they've been, for the most part, pretty darn good at converting those to field goals, as much as Matt said, puts you at a deficit in a game where we think a lot of points will be scored, um, forcing turnovers, forcing, you know, for, for, you know, turnovers on downs. We saw that twice in of older. We saw that a little bit um, in other games earlier this season. So like, I think, you know, Jared outlined it properly of, of their commitment to the pass. If you keep everything in front of you, which they couldn't do against Georgia, but they I think they've done a better job of late. 
and you can force Washington to move the ball with sustained drives as opposed to explosive drives, that's going to give you, I think, the best chance in this game to keep it, just to keep Washington from maybe like holding serve, because I do think Oregon's going to score in this game. And I think this might be a game where, yeah, like as Matt said, it might be follow a little bit of a similar roadmap for Oregon to win as the UCLA game where UCLA is going to gain its yards. UCLA put up some, some big yard figures in that game, a lot on the ground. DTR got his through the air. I think he had like 266 or something. But a lot of their drives resulted in field goals. And at a certain point in the game, you couldn't continue kicking those field goals because it was a losing proposition to do so. And you ended up going for it. Oregon won a couple of those, lost a couple of those. And because of that, was able to pull away. So I, I do think that's to me, is, is kind of the defensive formula of, hey, we might give up six, five yards on a couple of passes. We might give up 20 on a couple of others. We might move, let them move the ball down the field. But if you can just kind of hold serve in the red zone, maybe go 50-50, uh, in terms of, of forcing field goals to touchdown rate, I think you're going to put yourself in a pretty good position to win because I, I do think this is a game where it's like probably the team who scores in the mid-40s is is going to win. And if you can hold Washington out of the end zone with regularity, that's that's where this game changes to me. Yeah, the bend-don't-break philosophy is probably Oregon's best bet because regardless of what defense you have, Washington's still going to pass for around 300 yards. They passed for almost 300 yards, 298 against Oregon State last week. And that was in just like a terrible a t- like a terrible rainstorm. The wind, it was rainy, but they still almost threw for 300 yards. Uh, Oregon's defense has been really good in the red zone. And I think that really goes into the fact of how, how much they've been able to win this season because – you know, teams haven't necessarily ran into a lot of a lot of hardship going down the field. So when they get into the red zone, they get inside the twenty, where Oregon's defense starts to at least close some gaps. The, you know, the field isn't as isn't as open, and then Oregon's defense is able to do better there. Um, and I think, like you guys both mentioned, how Oregon performed against UCLA and holding them to field goals. Um, I think that's going to be a major key to this game. I think it'll be a, a, I think it'll be a closer game. Um, I, there's always a part of me that, that thinks like, yeah, it could be a blowout just because of how, how often Oregon scores the football. And if there's a couple turnovers or mistakes, like Matt said, from Washington's side, it could be um, a pretty significant margin in like the first half, let's say. Um, but this Washington team, with how they throw the football, they're not, they're not usually – taking shots like and into double coverage and things like that they're not really pushing the ball they're not taking risks they're looking it's very similar to oregon's offense when the deep shot is there they're taking it but they'll look for the underneath route they'll look for somebody right over the right over the middle they'll look for somebody in the flats it's it's just built and designed to get yards it's very like i said earlier it's very much air raid offense s but if oregon can take take chances and maybe turn into uh, a turnover and get an interception, something like that, that would really help them move the ball and keep their defense, frankly, off the field. Um, but overall, just back to the original point, the long way, long-winded answer of that bend, don't break philosophy that it, that they've implemented so often this year, it's going to continue on Saturday against Washington. Real quick, defensively, um, Washington does have – four guys in the top 14 in the conference in sacks. 
this season. Yeah. Um, Braylon Trice is third in the league at six and a half. And right behind him is Jeremiah Martin with six, and he's fourth. And then Boy Tunufi at 10 with four. And then um, ZTF, another edge guy at three and a half with, you know, 14th in the conference. And then you go down the list again. There's two more guys. They've gotten a lot of sacks this season. Now, there's two ways to look at that. One, hey, they have statistically a lot of sacks. They've accomplished this in the game. You have to recognize it. You have to realize, hey, this is going to be something to look at. But when you then look at maybe the opponents that they've played, especially in conference, um, they haven't played any of the elite offensive lines. They've played Cal, who's given up the second most sacks this season. Stanford, the tenth most sacks this, or the third most sacks this season. ASU, Arizona, Colorado. You know, those are all the bottom teams in the league. They haven't really faced elite offensive lines until the last couple of weeks. Uh, Oregon State was one. Um, but Oregon State's not a team that wants to throw the football. They they are a run-oriented team. And then the other one that they've played you know, is UCLA, and they lost that football game. Um, this will be the by far the most talented offensive line that Washington faces. But on the flip side, this will be one of the, you know, the tougher matchups that Oregon will have in protecting Bo Nix, where if, if you walk out of this game with zero sacks, I think that's a – you know, it's already a pretty big accomplishment, but it's even more so against the opponent that Oregon's playing th- this weekend. Yeah, Ryan Walk said this is the best front seven from a pass rush they've faced all season since since Georgia. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, th- 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 I, let me finish the Again, sentence. I was I was waiting for the I was waiting for the Georgia. I thought the Walk would play into hey, it's a rivalry week. These no, guys. no, no. Yeah. No, no. He said since Georgia, um, you know, and, and Matt ran through some of the names there, like Trice and Hunt or Martin are, are really talented guys on the outside. And, and ZTF has just been hurt so much during his career. It's really a shame. I'm, I think he's a really talented player. Um, I think he's supposed to be good this week, but I, I think for for Oregon, this will be a big test up front, and they've done. An, I, I, the, the stats are incredible. <laughs> I mean, one sack and we're in mid-November. It's absolutely unbelievable, that, that, that figure. And, and really, the one sack was like kind of a weird play um, where I, I don't – I think, it, you know, he, Nick's almost got back to line of scrimmage anyway. So, I mean, they really haven't had a ton of situations where Nick's has dropped back and he's, he's even been close to being sacked and he's thrown a couple away. He's obviously used his feet to escape a couple of times, more than a couple, but uh, – It'll be interesting to see how much of an impact this has because I do think that's been one of the really kind of foundational pieces to Nix's success this season is just the improvement of the offensive line playing in front of him as opposed to what he played you know, at Auburn um, where he was constantly under duress, where he was running for his life and having to make plays. His ability in this offense to uh, to have time back there, but also I think that the maturation of the quarterback of understanding, hey, uh, when there isn't a great situation, let me move and, and find some space because you know the, I think the sack stats are are both offensive line, also quarterback recognition. He's really good in the pocket of, of acknowledging things, but we'll see how much of an impact that has, and and we'll see how much of an impact Oregon on the ground is able to make, uh, you know, Washington defensively a second in the conference behind Oregon in rush yards allowed this season. 
Um, they're 20th nationally in rush yards per carry allowed at about 3.4. Nobody's run for more than 200 yards on them this season. Um, Charbonnet being the, the high rusher this year, I think he ran for about 125. Oregon will want to run the football. They will want to put the pressure on a Washington defense that is starting to play a little bit more like it did during the Chris Peterson era where, where you had a front seven that made things happen. And, and obviously I think the difference for this Washington team, as opposed to some of those other teams was, I, I don't think the secondary is anywhere near as strong right now as it has been at Washington. You look, I mean, you look up and down NFL rosters right now and Washington has had, has a ton of guys that are playing at corner at safety and and, and mm -hmm. big time players in the NFL that were that were under Peterson and Jimmy Lake as being a position coach and then a coordinator and the head coach that kind of brought that group up. Um, this year's team is devoid of a lot of that, but their front is much better. They're a lot better against the run than they have been in the past. Um, I think Oregon's going to have some success here. I'm, I'm not really that concerned in terms of like. I don't think Oregon's going to be held to three yards per carry. I don't think Oregon will be held under 120 yards or something. But I do think this is going to be one of the bigger challenges, and that could have um, a compounding impact of if Oregon gets slowed down a little on first and second, now you're looking at third downs that are a little bit more daunting for a bow, and, and maybe that's where they're able to get the pass rush um, home against Knicks, and, and he has to make some plays that, that lead to some mistakes. So. Um, I'm talking kind of like worst case for Oregon, but that's kind of the game plan or roadmap for Washington is if they're able to right. stack up okay up front, get some pressure on the third downs, force third downs, that's where it, it becomes problematic, I think, for for Oregon potentially. But I still contend this is going to be a game where a lot of points are scored and Oregon will do its will score its fair share of those points. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think this is going to be a game where just a lot of points are scored, just like what Eric said. I, I will say... The sack numbers for Washington, while they are really good, you know, 26 and 26 through nine games, you know, eight of them came against Stanford in September, and then five of them came against Cal, and then four came against Arizona. They're, they, they, they feast on the bottom feeders, like Matt mentioned. Like, these are not the best offensive lines in the country, like, well, yes, in the country, but also not in the conference. Um, and, and they feasted against them. I, and Oregon did the same thing, because I don't think Oregon's pass rush is that great. We've seen it not in existence. We've seen it come to existence against Washington State or Cal. But I think they're. I think both teams are in similar boats. They are not good against the pass. They are pretty damn good against the run. They get a pass rush every once in a while. They have dudes who look like they could get a pass rush, like Braylon Trice, who has nine and a half tackles for loss this season, which leads Washington as a team. I I expect Oregon to go after them in the running department. I think Oregon's going to try to run the ball and kind of just prove it to the rest of the Pac-12 and especially to Washington that, hey, like, yeah, we, we may have switched our coach from a meathead who's a former offensive lineman who loves running the ball, who loves power football, to a guy who's going to do the exact same thing and is, could, would probably consider himself to also be a meathead. And I, I think that they're just going to, like Matt said, I don't know if they'll go 14J for an entire quarter or an entire half quarter like they did against BYU or UCLA. But I don't expect them to put their, let their foot up off the gas in terms of the running game. I think they're going to try to stick it to them. I also think that Washington hasn't necessarily played the best rushing attack teams. Uh, Oregon State was the second highest um, yards or total yards on the ground this season against Washington. 
uh, after UCLA. But then, you know, Arizona's not going to run it. Arizona State is Arizona State is bad, but Washington lost to them. So I don't know what to make of that. And then Cal, we all know, because Oregon just recently played them, not a great rushing the football team. And Oregon is. They got the one of the best of offensive line, lines in the country. I think their offensive line is the best in the Pac-12. Um, Washington is pretty good, too, though. I, I will admit that. They're another one of those teams that's really good at pass block. Um, I think that they're, they're just going to put the foot foot to the gas, pedal to the floor. They're going to try to establish the run early and often and try to take deep shots. We've kind of done it organically without really saying it, but do we want to talk about keys to the game? I mean, we just, I felt like we just rolled right through it um, organically on the, on the, on the show. I yeah, well, I think we can get into injuries and then our predictions because I think we've done a good job of establishing it. Like I guess to summarize, like I think Oregon needs to be able to run the football to set up the pass, yep. and I think defensively you have to try to try to extend the the drives for Washington and not let them beat you deep over the top, and then hopefully win in the red zone. Like I think that's my summation mm-hmm. of it. Those will be some of my keys on my my five key story that you'll be reading later today. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's too much else. I, I think that these teams are kind of are are interestingly matched up. They seem like I don't know, it seems like a lot of times in the Pac-12 with Oregon this season, they'll they'll go against a team that has the better, uh, does what Oregon can't do on defense, like the passing attack, and then their offense does what the other team can't do on defense. So I think this is another one of those matchups. Oregon needs to extend the drives, like Eric said, and they need to. Try to run the ball to set up Bonex for deep field passes like they've been doing all year. All right. Injuries. Um, there's been some positives at the start of the week. Some of those turned into real good positives. Outlook looks good like they'll play. Uh, and then others maybe still up in the air. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's – I think there's two guys that I don't expect to play, and that's Chase Cota, who we didn't see at practice all week, and Stephen Jones, who, despite Dan being kind of encouraging about on Monday, was not in pads either Tuesday or Wednesday, and and, and mm-hmm. did see an uptick. Like, I, I think Stephen is close. Like, this is by far – he hadn't been at practice until the previous week, and so him being out there at all was an encouraging sign, and him being in uniform was an encouraging sign because we really hadn't seen a whole lot of that either. So I think he's getting close, but – Still not someone you expect to play. I expect DJ Johnson to play. I expect Taki Taimani to play. And I expect Jordan James and Alex Forsyth to play. Um, all, all those guys were in full pads all week. Um, DJ, I didn't really notice much of anything from. Taki had his ankle taped really well, uh, or, or, or tightly, I should say. Um, Forsyth didn't do all of the full contacty stuff we watched, but we get to see so little of it. It's hard to really say like how much he did during the full day. Like There was one kind of contact drill where they do combination blocks that he didn't do either day. Um, I think he'll play. I don't expect him to be held out. He was in full pads. Um, and and then, you know, I think Jordan James was probably held out for, I don't know what, but seemed to be, I didn't see any indication he was limited at all any of the days we were there. So I, I think all those guys will be, will be available. I think Taki being able to play his former team is an, a, kind of an exciting kind of you know opportunity for him unfortunately it's a team that throws the ball a ton and he primarily plays on rundowns so even if he is a little bit dinged up i'm guessing he's only going to see the field probably like eight to 14 maybe snaps anyway so not going to be a huge workload but i think oregon's really close to being full strength and which is a good sign because 
they've been without some key guys now the last couple of games. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's nothing else to add. I will, I will note um, one quick thing. Taki Taimani is, uh, we talked to Keon Ware Hudson after practice on Wednesday. Um, and Keon mentioned that Taki has been, has been wearing Washington gear underneath his Oregon, his, uh, his football pads and stuff like that to piss the team off. So Keon says it's working. So I think, uh, <laughs> I, I just thought that that was fun, and, and there's no other injury news besides Coda and Stephen Jones. So that's a ballsy move by by Taki. Uh, interesting, and I missed that. That's wild. I I'm shocked that that's happening. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick break while I process that. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Um, Matt Premier, Scope with Jared Mack on this prediction show on Friday. Hopefully your Friday is going well, or maybe it's Saturday morning and you're you're tailgating and you're getting yourself ready for this game. Uh, time to dive into the predictions. Um, offensive team, offensive player, defensive team, defensive player, and then a score pick. Um, I'll, I'll go first. I think Oregon's offense goes into Saturday's game. Uh, averaging an impressive 7.16 yards per play. Um, That number ranks sixth nationally. Their offense is elite. The Huskies this season have given up a season high of 7.74 against Arizona, and then they went for 6.93 yards per play against UCLA. Oregon has topped both of those numbers multiple times this season. They went for 8.1 at Washington State, 8.29 at Arizona, and then 7.81 at Cal. Knowing the talent that Oregon has on offense, knowing how good this offense is playing right now, um, and knowing what Washington has allowed against some similar offenses, I'm thinking Oregon hits 7.75 yards or more per play uh, Saturday afternoon against the Huskies. I think we're all thinking shootout, aren't we? Like, Yeah. I mean, we'll get to score predictions later, but uh, I think we think these offenses are both going to have some success. I, I have um, I mentioned the stat earlier where UCLA was the team to get closest to the 200-yard mark against Washington on the ground this year. Uh, they got to 185. I, I think Oregon will get to 200, and that'll be the first team against this Washington run defense to get there. I think Washington has – like I, it, was, it, was, it was notable when I was looking through, I do the 10 best recruits on the roster story every week, and you look at the top 10 on Washington, a lot of those guys are interior defensive linemen. Um, I think three or four of their top eight guys were. So they're, they're not devoid of talent there. And the 
linebacking crew at Washington is certainly better than it was a year ago when it was very bad. I think Oregon will be able to have success, though, and I think we'll get to some individuals in a moment, but I, I just look at this matchup and think Kenny Dillingham has been so creative offensively as a play caller, and I think he's he just, especially in these big games, he's been up for the challenge and, and putting this team in, in really advantageous situations, and Bo Nix deserves credit for that as well because of uh, the freedom he's given to, to make some changes at the line, but I just anticipate Oregon succeeding a lot on offense and I think more than 200 yards on the ground. I, um, I read your scope Adonis before this. And um, unfortunately we have the same thing here. I think that they're going to go for 200 Ooh. yards as well. UCLA, UCLA had 184. Um, I'd like to rescind my statement about Arizona state uh, and their rush offense stinking because they had 156 third against Washington's defense this season. I think up. Oregon puts, yeah, I think Oregon puts up the number one, um, number one spot and with 200 yards, I don't think, you know, like Oregon state ran the ball 40 times cause it was a monsoon in, in Seattle, but I don't think it's going to be a barring an, an unforeseen weather circumstance here. I think Oregon is just going, like Eric said, be very creative with their rushing attack, figure out ways to get the ball to somebody in space um, preferably Bucky Irving. Um, I, I just think that this is going to be uh, just an onslaught of, of a rushing attack for Oregon here. Offensive player pick. Um, I think in either Oregon's biggest games, whether it's like matchup ranked versus ranked or statistically speaking, Oregon's biggest offensive games, um, Bo Nix has been basically unstoppable. Um, Against BYU, he rushed for three touchdowns. He ran for two more against Stanford. He had three against Arizona. Um, and in the last two weeks, he's he scored three touchdowns again, whether that's catching or rushing. And this doesn't account for, for passing touchdowns at all. Um, and so when you factor in the passing element, I'm expecting Bo for the sixth time this season to hit five or more touchdowns total uh, in this football game. I, I just feel like – this is going to be one of those games that he's already in the discussion for the Heisman. I, I feel like his performance is going to really skyrocket himself up after this week. It's a four, four o'clock game. It's on Fox. It's a big network. He's going to, I think he's going to have a big game. And a lot of people, if they were on the fence of really going in on him as being a Heisman candidate are going to be won over. That's another one of those stats that's really impressive. You know, I mentioned the one sack this year, but the fact that Bo has had five games already with five or more combined touchdowns, that's that's pretty dang impressive. Ridiculous. This season, this season he's having is is really special. And I and I, I know they are, but I hope Oregon fans are appreciating how this has gone. Cause this is statistically up there, probably only competition you have is a couple of those Mariota seasons in terms of the best that a Oregon quarterback has had. And He's putting on a show, and I, I also think it com continues this week. I didn't make a prediction here. This will surprise some listeners. I said Bucky was dead. I've revived him. He's back from he's back from the grave. I'm I'm making a Bucky Irving prediction here. I, I, I but I just want to say you know because when I predict him doing good things, typically good things don't happen. At least he doesn't get to the mm. rush total I predicted. But I'm I am deviating a little bit from my old predictions of I always just would predict him 100 yards. I'm saying a career-high rushing-receiving combined total. So it is different. 
So nothing to worry about. This will happen. Uh, Bucky will have a great game. Uh, I'm not jinxing him. Uh, I think he's going to, you know, the, the, the currently the career high was the 164 he had against UCLA, 107 on the ground, 57 receiving. I think he gets over 165 or 165 or more, I should say, on Saturday. Guy's been great in the big games and the big moments, obviously not Georgia, but ever since, I think he's played really, really well um, when the team has needed him. And they're going to need him this weekend. The offense is going to need to be firing on all cylinders. They haven't played an opposing offense that will put as much strain on them. Really, I think since Georgia, I know Washington State also scored a lot, but I, I think this is a game where you need you need Bucky to come through, and I think he will. I think Bucky will come through as well, but not my prediction. I got Troy Franklin. I have him stepping up, just like Matt mentioned, where Nick seems to step up in all these big games where Oregon needs that person the most. I feel the same about Troy Franklin. I have Franklin getting over 130 yards through the air and at least one touchdown as well. Um, he's Oregon's number one option. He was a little quiet last week against Colorado, but Oregon could have ran maybe their second string the entire game and still put up a similar score. So they didn't need him. And he's, you know, they needed him to come back from his injury or whatever that was against Cal and be a hundred percent in order for this game, because this is when they're going to need him the most. Um, Washington, we went over, Eric and I went over this with, at our Starbucks date with James Crepia after football practice. And Washington's secondary has allowed more passes over 30 or 40 yards this season than they have the last three seasons combined. Like Eric mentioned much earlier in the show, this is not a typical Washington secondary. Um, and I think Oregon, with Bucky Irving's help setting up the ground game, is going to extrapolate and give them options down the field and preferably to Troy Franklin and make my prediction come true. Real quick, back to the offense real, real quick. Eric, you said uh, Knicks in, is having a season very similar to Mariota or only maybe close, you know, closest to Mariota. Yeah. Um, Knicks has five touchdowns, five games this year with five total touchdowns or more. Mariota's career at Oregon had seven. So that just tells you how special it is. Um, He's on another level. All right, defense of team pick. Um, Week one against Georgia, the Ducks allowed 439 passing yards through the air. Um, That's the most this season. And it's the most since week two uh, at Ohio State when the Buckeyes went, I think, for 484. Um, I think Oregon's going to give up 440 or more passing yards in this game against the Washington Huskies. Um, I don't think they're going to be very successful on the ground, but part of that's going to be because they're just so successful through the air. So Oregon's defense is not a good one this week. It's 440 more yards passing. Matt, we did very similar very, very similar predictions. I uh, am also a – I, I explained this in my scope Domus. When Oregon plays a bad opponent, I do a good defensive prediction. When Oregon plays a good opponent, I do a bad prediction pretty much. Um, I'm going slightly less on the total, but our predictions are the same general concept. I have 375 or more yards through the air for Washington, which isn't extremely bold considering the average 370, but – the reason behind that figure being the choice was that the most Oregon has given up since Georgia was 374 against Cam Ward and, and Washington State. And actually, you know, you look at it, 
I think this is kind of notable to to just kind of put into perspective some of the uh, the past stats for Oregon. You look at the starting quarterbacks and the numbers they've put up against Oregon this year in Pac-12 play. Nobody else besides Wardstone over 300 yards. They've had a couple that are in the mid 240, 250, 260 range, and then a couple under 200 yards. And I think part of the thing you have to recognize with those pass stats is how many of those have come late in games that were already decided. Because like Jack Plummer threw for 214 yards, but Cal ended up with over 300 yards passing because they put the backup in. Same thing with Stanford. McKee had 166. They brought the backup in. He had some success. Um, you know, I just think you have to kind of that, that part needs to be sort of acknowledged. I'm not saying Oregon's defense is incredible against the pass because that would be misleading. But I also think the stat itself might be slightly misleading when you look at it just at face value, because I, I do think a fair amount of these pass stats have been given up against like Oregon's second, third team defensive guys against backup quarterbacks, which isn't great but sort of has to be distinguished um, against. So, but back to the point, yeah, three, 375 or more yards through the air for, for Penix. This was a tough one. I didn't, I didn't really know where to go with this, to be quite honest. Um, I ended up favoring Oregon in this statistic, this team defense statistics. Instead of an over, I have an under. I have Oregon holding Penix to under his season average and total yards per game, which is 362. I don't think that Oregon is going to stop Michael Penix Jr. I don't think they're going to come close. However, they're going to keep him under that number. And I think uh, judging by how all of our predictions and what we've said earlier, we all think this will be a shootout. I concur. I think it'll be a, a nice little shootout here. I think it'll be a good Saturday game. I just think they're going to hold Penix under 362 even yards. I think it's a reasonable approach. I don't think that's – I mean. Oregon's the better team on paper. And if they rise up the talent of, of their levels, they should be fine. You know, like they should be able to do that. That's not an out. You know, I don't think that's a out there prediction. All right. Defensive player pick. Um, this is a positive one. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for it. I'm not saying Brian Addison with the interception, but I do think Triquez Bridges is going to haul in an interception um, at some point in this game, and it's going to prove to be pivotal for turning around a one-score game into potentially a two-score game. A little bit of a redemptive arc there for Triquez. It's been an up-and-down season. I, I, and, I, and I think, actually, PFF would tell you he's been pretty good. Um, PFF would tell you that Triquez Bridges is like one of the better corners, not only on this team, but in the conference, which would surprise most people listening. Um, they would. Again, again, PFF. I don't know what to make of it. Sometimes the figures don't make any sense. Sometimes they do. Um, but that's that's kind of part of the TriQuest thing. I like that one, Matt, because that would be there'd be some a little bit of a nice narrative feel to that of like, hey, this guy's gotten beat a couple times this year. Nice for him to make a play to maybe change a game. I uh I'm going with Bennett Williams. I think this surprised me a little bit. It shouldn't have, because I, I should know the history, but this is the first time he's played Washington in his career. It's been here three years, 2020. They backed out of the game because of COVID, and then 2021, he was hurt. So he really talked about how he's been, you know, champing at the bit to get in this one, to, to play in this rivalry. He knows how much it means. He's been around. And obviously in 2020, he got firsthand feel for how much Oregon doesn't like Washington because he said that that outcome and then the fact that Washington celebrated a division championship doesn't sit right with him. He said he wouldn't even recognize that as a division championship. He doesn't think the conference should either. Um, but I think Bennett's going to have a lot of opportunities in this game. You know, we talk about, 
the success Washington could have and I think we all expect to have throwing the football, I think Bennett's going to be around the ball quite a bit. And as Jared said, some of what they do is the equivalent of a run play in that it's not a very difficult completion. Um, it's a underneath pass that the distance of the ball travels is not more than five to six yards downfield. And I think that's the area where Bennett can have a lot of success. So his also surprised me a little bit, a couple of Bennett facts, his career high in tackles took place at Illinois, his freshman season in his sixth game, he had 14 mm. against Minnesota. He's never had more than eight that's at Oregon. Fine. So I think he's going to set a career high and get to double digits. So I think uh, I'm going Bennett 10 or more tackles here. I'm not going to say leads the team because I think a couple people could get a lot of tackles in the secondary because that's where the ball is probably going to be located a lot. But I think Bennett has a nice day, and I know he's excited to get out there and, and play well. He, he talked about that quite a bit uh, on Wednesday. I also have a Bennett prediction. I did not copy Scoville Dominance, but what I did do is I thought, well, Washington's going to throw the ball a lot and for, for use of a better two-word phrase or three-word phrase. Um, I think – with Jamal Hill not being here, there's someone else is going to have to pick up the slack. And Bennett, I think, is one of Oregon's better open field tacklers. I think there's just, like Eric just mentioned, there's going to be a lot of balls just thrown in general, and he's going to be the best at coming downhill and tack tackling these guys who catch a three to four yard, three yard, three to four yard out route, a three to four yard crossing route. Um, this secondary, I thought about a Triquas Bridges prediction as well. Uh, this secondary is going to be tested. Bridges is going to be tested a lot. Um, the linebackers are going to be tested a lot. And I, I, I wasn't going to be bold enough to put a linebacker prediction on my on my thing. But I got Bennett Williams over eight tackles. So not not quite ten, but over eight, which would be his Oregon career high. Have by the way, have we has any of us landed a linebacker related defensive prediction this season? Probably not, but I would assume you guys would have better luck because my prediction is Bennett Williams is going to get a targeting call this week because I'm two oh. for two on those. Oh, no. Yeah. That's not good for Oregon. Hopefully it's in the second half, not the first half. Well, I, do, I don't know when you want it to happen. Utah's the – I mean – I would I, yeah, I, I just don't – These are both – I wouldn't want to get, to get suspended here or to get held out of half. That would be just brutal. All right, score predictions. Um, I don't see Oregon's offense really getting stopped much by Washington. I said that earlier, uh, very similar, comparing it very similar to how UCLA played out. I would bet on um, Penix making the bigger mistake than Knicks in this game. Um, the reason being, Washington Washington hasn't played in a road game environment even remotely close to what they are going to face on Saturday. Um, this season, their road games uh, at UCLA, at Arizona State, at California prior to this game. Um, the only one with even a remote kind of atmosphere was that UCLA game uh, on a Friday night when, let's be real, the Rose Bowl was less than half full. And that was the best team that Washington has played um, up until this moment in time. And in that game, Penix put up good yardage, 345. He threw four touchdowns, but he threw two costly interceptions. Um, and so I'm banking on that and the crowd environment factoring into this one. Um, 
I, I think Oregon also gets a couple stops in the red zone or just before the red zone that forces UW to take field goals instead of touchdowns, which feel, will feel like punts. But look, there's going to be a ton of points. There's going to be a ton of yards. Um, this is going to be an old school Wild West shootout. And I think just Oregon makes just enough plays to steal a possession via an interception, um, a field goal stop to win this one 49 34. They cover, but by the slimmest of margins. That's the exact score I was going to say. <laughs> Literally, I was just in my head trying to pick between two scores, and I was like, yeah, we'll go with that because I was thinking, yeah, Washington, Oregon will probably hold them to a couple of field goals. Let's go with – yeah. Uh, I'll just – I'm sorry stunned. I stole all your thunder. We don't, we, don't, we don't share any of this. No, we don't. As you can tell, that was genuine – Surprise. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to stick with our – I guess we're going to have the same score. That feels weird. Should I have the same – I shouldn't have the same score. Um, uh, I'll do uh, – boy, this is really throwing me for a loop here because I, I think Oregon's going to score touchdowns and Washington's going to kick field goals, but I don't really want to downgrade it any lower. I guess we could do 42-27. Let's do 42-27. Let's do a little lower scoring. I don't know about that. that. I think Washington's, Washington's going to score. I think they're going to score more than – yeah, I think they're going to score but more. I don't really want to go over the 50 number. This is this is tough, Matt. You've made my life difficult here. Sorry for the live podcast deliberation because I had I set up for a number that he picked it. Um, oh, I'm sorry. All right, I'll give Oregon a field goal and I'll give you, you – uh, yeah, I'll give both teams an extra field goal. Let's go, uh, let's go Oregon 52, Washington 37 for just a lot of points. There's a couple – there's a lot – there's more field goals. There's a lot of points. Camden Lewis, gets, points. Camden Lewis gets Camden his Lewis, leg man. in action. Camden Lewis hasn't kicked a field goal since uh, uh, was that UCLA. He's going to kick a field goal. It's going to go in. They're going to win. Um, kind of outlined it all. Like I, I mean, I, I expect Oregon to obviously have a lot of success. The only reason I was hesitating, maybe going a little lower, is like there is a possibility where where this gets to a uh, where they do just have a drive that takes like nine minutes again, and they just you know. 14J all the way down the field, take up seven minutes, eight minutes of clock. That takes away more scoring opportunities. Um, I think the weather is going to be pretty nice compared to some of the elements that they played in. Both teams played last week in really crappy weather. Um, Oregon obviously wasn't impacted by it much. Washington clearly was. But I, I think I think this is going to be a game where we come away saying, man, we just watched two really good quarterbacks play close to their A games. It's a really fun game. Lots of points, lots of scoring, lots of excitement. I think both teams get up and down the field throughout. I think Oregon's defense maybe makes a couple of plays to force those field goals, and um, and and they get out of there with a fifty-two to thirty-seven win, which is just a massive score that I still feel weird about because I had another number in my head that Matt also had. So um, hopefully, we're not mind melted too much. <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, I've got Oregon winning 45-31. I think that's going to be I, – I, that, I think that's what I'm going to come up with because I agree with you guys. Like, I think there's going to be some field goals. I think this will be very similar to the UCLA game where like both teams, first drive of the game, potentially stall out, get a field goal, and suddenly 3-3 three to three and all the overbetters are just not, not the happiest. But with the over at 72 and a half. 45-31 gets it comfortably done. Um, Oregon barely covers as well on the spread of the 14-point victory. Um, like both of you guys, I just don't think that Oregon's really going to have 
too much trouble here on offense. I think Washington's defense is is pretty good. I think obviously the rush defense has had good success against teams that don't really run the ball, which is what you would hope for. But Oregon, I think, is just going to be able to run the ball. I think that they'll be able to throw the ball when necessary. I think this is going to be a very traditional, what we have seen from Oregon in the last couple of weeks and the last couple of years, frankly, where they where they, they go ground and pound to start and then set up everything, all the deep balls, all the play action passes. Kenny Dillingham gets creative with it. Um, the, the one issue that I worry about here, which I think should worry everybody who's an Oregon fan, is what happens if Oregon's secondary just cannot stop anything. And yeah. Washington just goes down the field, and even though they kind of dink and dump it a little bit with like six to eight yard routes, what happens if they say, uh, we can hit 15 yarders all day because we're going to go right over the middle. We're going to throw a ball three feet taller than Noah Sewell and Justin Flo and Jeffrey Bossa and Jackson LaDuke and get 15 yards every time. Uh, that's the one thing that would 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 really worry me if I were a, a diehard Oregon fan and this becoming much closer than anticipated going into the game. But regardless, I don't think it happens. I think Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy have something up their sleeve. I've got Oregon winning 45-31. to 31. Real quick from a betting perspective, Oregon has won against the spread um, five straight mm-hmm. and seven of their last eight. And, and it would have been seven straight if that damn Washington State touchdown at the end of the game didn't happen. That's very true. And they've also hit the over uh, five or six of their last eight times. So they're covering, they're hitting the spread. And the flip side here, UW against the spread, they've lost five Miserable. They're terrible. Yeah. So just some data points there to to look at if you're betting on this game. Not telling you one way or another, but Oregon hits over and covers while UW does not. Um, Certainly something to watch on that one as well. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. The next time you guys will hear from us is post-game from our houses uh, Saturday evening talking Oregon-Washington outcome and not predicting what happens. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.